Welcome to the Free Thinkers Hub, connecting you with people in other fields or walks of life who can expand our world and sense of possibility. Our mission is clear, a censorship-free social media platform that's a hub of truth where people can learn and share and to create a place of hope and empowerment. Free Thinkers Hub, where you are empowered, not overpowered. Welcome, everybody. I'm Amina Habib Ahmed, founder of Free Thinkers Hub. Um, we've got episode seven today of the first series of podcasts uh, recording. The theme is around practicing ecology over economy. The solution is time equity. And we're going to cover a number of topics, such as bringing humanity into a new social economic system, which both democratizes and equalizes it looking at the inherent flaws of the capitalist system and time-based equity, which is based on natural law. And today I'm delighted to be speaking to Richard Kiernicki, who's author of Capitalist's Worst Nightmare Come True, The Crucifixion of Capital, and also the founder of this methodology, time-based equity. So Richard is an expert in the field of finance and investments. He says that he never really gave much thought to authority, the more fiercely anyone defended a position, he would doubt it to be true. And he's embarked on an amazing life of questioning everything. His parents were Polish prisoner of war uh, internees who somehow managed to um, get into the city of Toronto after more than a decade of being taken as prisoners to camps in Russia, Tehran and then Tanzania in Africa before indirectly immigrating to Canada. They taught him to be self-reliant. He started life working as a mechanic thereon in the financial sector where he spent 30 years with a real mission to demystify the financial sector and make people's lives better. So during that time, he learned from the best mentors and actually learned how to put things together within the business world as well as take them apart. Um, so after falling out of love uh, with the whole financial system, because he realized it wasn't all about money, um, after 22 years in that system, he came out of it, retired at the age of 51, and then decided to write his book uh, five years later, which he started in October 2008. And he, it took him subsequently 12 years to write. And we're going to find out more as to the length of time, because time is a, a theme that, that runs through Richard's thinking and or raison d'etre. So welcome, Richard. It's absolutely fantastic having you here. Um, thank you so much, Amina. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. And I want to thank you, um, and not only for inviting me to come out and be a part of your podcast, but I want to thank you for the uh, due diligence that you've done um, to invite me to the show. And I hope that our viewers, I hope your viewers are going to be uh, well entertained uh, for the next hour or so. Well, I think it's um, informed and entertained because there's so much, I mean, having read the book, um, which I did um, just in, in the last week, it's a very, very skillful book, and it pulls together so many different narratives. Um, so it, it really, uh, these are some of the questions I want to unpack with you, because it, it, it talks about spirituality in terms of superconsciousness, but it's also the mechanics 
of so many things like finance, how the system works, time, etc. So um, I just think there's so much to unpack. So let's just dive straight in. You 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 throw a lot of quotes in the book, which I really like. Uh, Noam Chomsky being one who says why you cannot have a capitalist democracy. So let's start with that one. Why is that, Richard? Well, you know, it's funny, but I think the simple question or the simple answer to the question is something called lobbying. And when you are thinking about government, the last thing that you're thinking about, or from my perspective, the last thing I was thinking about was understanding that people were buying their way into positions of power and they weren't really actually being voted in. And when I started to recognize um, those aspects, I started looking for uh, very valid information with regards to the electoral system, not only in Canada, but we looked at the United States and China as well to see exactly how these, these governments who may appear extremely different than one another, they're actually all running on the same sort of a program. They have their own uh, idiosyncrasies, they have their own little specifics, but at the end of the day, the government um, in pretty much every country around the world uh, operates in the same fashion. So to me, um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is the elimination of capital. Well, therefore, if we eliminate capital, then we do not have the opportunity to buy our way into politics. And if we can't buy our way into politics, it creates better integrity and hence, the people who are actually becoming the people that we're going to vote for have actually earned the right to be in the position that they would be voted in for. Okay, so one of the things, so we're talking at the political level here. Um, you also talk in the book about the level that, that, you know, kind of orchestrates the politics, you know, which is the world of bankers. And you talk about the origins of modern banking, especially with Mayors uh, Rothschilds and the like. Um, and you're very much talking about joining the dots with money and monopolies and the elite agenda, uh, banks, corporations, governments having too much control. Um, and they make decisions to benefit uh, themselves at the expense of many. So that's definitely one of the themes that you talk about, which is, as I said before, the democracy of, of people really having control of their lives. Yeah, so yeah. So in terms of letting go of some of the old patterns that people have, um, in terms of maybe trusting these 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 people or you know where they put their time and energy in terms of thinking about money or having money or not having money, how how much do you feel people are ready for this approach? Well, judging by this last two years where we've had um, tremendous anxiety and fear brought to us by our world leaders and governments, um, the one thing that for me that stands out most is that these people haven't been doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. And whether that's for financial reasons or not, the bottom line is that there's so much confusion um, that's going on out there that the leadership of our countries should be able to define and to state and to be acting in unison. And right now we have this, this apparent divide going on, not only between the governments themselves, but we're also having 
uh, issues with the divides in the population of the people. For example, huge discussions with regards to the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. Um, at the same time, we're now starting to hear lots of stories about uh, Russia moving in on the Ukraine um, and inciting war, um, which is kind of silly at this particular point in time in our evolution. Um, <clears throat> so we have country leaders that are not really stepping to the plate. And if they are, I think I would suggest that they're setting a pretty bad example for the rest of humanity um, by having that power, so to speak, okay, to go and, and take away other people's powers. And I think the other countries need to step into these relationships and actually, um, if need be, counsel these countries into learning how to cooperate and how to unite and how to be inclusive of one another. Because I think it's time that we started to really, if, if we're going to talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter, or we're going to talk about any lives matter, I think what we need to understand is one very important lesson from all of this is that we need to be inclusive and especially the majority of people need to be inclusive. And hence, when we're included, included, then therefore we can actually stand together, create the solidarity. And since we put the people in power through the power of vote, then we can actually take them out of power through the power of vote as well. So I think it's a fantastic time to relook at pretty much everything that's going on in our world and specifically take a look at, are we doing the best that we can do? And I think that capitalism has brought us to a great spot. We have some of the most amazing things and yet people are, if you will, reluctant in planning out what are the other opportunities that we could look at that would truly unleash okay, the full potential of humanity without the restrictions of a monetary system without the restrictions of printing money, without spending so much time focusing on material and consumer wealth that um, I think that we could really truly redesign a world that actually works for everybody and subsequently will support a larger population before we can start flying through the universe and looking at other planets to possibly inhabit and to expand the human experience. Yeah, so I think that expansiveness of your thinking, uh, because it's not about deconstructing what we have, um, you're, 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 you know, if, well, you do deconstruct capitalism and why it, it, it doesn't work. Um, while you say that it's brought us to a certain stage of perhaps progress, um, it, you know, it's failed in lots of ways. Um, and you talk about those standards that it's crucified on as being sustainability awareness of Gaia or planet Earth itself uh, or the ecology of our, our system and then about how we are as human beings being ambas ambassadors in the wider cosmos uh, being able to go out in respect love and peace and I know that in the book you refer to Star Trek um, and I really like what you say about um, uh, the Star Trek movie First Contact and uh, Picard, um, in conversation with Picard, he answers a question regarding the cost of the enterprise. And he states that money doesn't exist in the 24th century. Um, so, um, I, you know, I like the way that you draw all those uh, analogies together. But, you know, can you tell us more about those three things that you say that, that capitalism um, can be crucified on? Well. Um, I'd also maybe like to bring to uh, your attention 
Um, the book's entitled The Crucifixion of Capital, or the second part of the title is The Crucifixion of Capital. Um, and interestingly, uh, when we actually launched the digital copy of the book, uh, we launched it on Easter Sunday. And for the Christian community, that's Resurrection Day. My intent is not to harm or to damage anybody. My intent is to help them see that we can do things in a better fashion and start to create a discussion <clears throat> that will improve the quality of, of our lives around the world, not just uh, for, the, for the few. But uh, going back to a, a little bit of the conversation that you talked about with regards to the financial institutions, <clears throat> being a financial advisor for just over 40 years has brought some very interesting, let's just say, strategies to my awareness. And many of these strategies are not considered uh, the, uh, the conventional strategies or the conventional wisdom. But there's two ways to skin a cat, I guess. And in that comment, there are just many ways of looking at things. And in the financial services industry, like many other industries, we're regulated by self-regulatory organizations. And these people have been putting together these systems for literally, if not hundreds of years, maybe even more than a millennia or two. But the concept of money and the way that it has been brokered, so to speak, okay, has become something that in essence, in comparison to what the rest of society is creating, the existing financial system um, is out of control. It's not working efficiently for the majority of the people. And we really need to educate and to further educate the individuals about knowing more about this concept called financial literacy. And one of the chapters in my book is number four, which is the lie. And the lie is based on a complete disclosure of how the financial system really works. And on, on that note, um, one of the things that, if you will, uh, became a part of this whole process, and I'll show you this here because the, 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 um, is that clear, Amina? Is it relatively it's, it's, clear? It's slightly um, going um, fuzzy, but um, yeah, it's it's about deposit, yeah, and then bank collections. So you took about and then the um, the legal. Yeah. So let's let's just quickly have a discussion in the sense of what that graph was. It was an individual who had a hundred dollars to put away, and their intent was to put it away guaranteed for one year so that they could come back at the end of the year and be assured that their money was there. And the bank that they went to offered them 1% rate of return. And the individual would say, well, that, that's okay because all of the other banks are in essence paying the same amount of interest on my deposit. So I'm happy with that. And then the bankers, they start to work their magic in the sense of they look for an individual or a company or a family Let's keep it simple. They're going to look for an individual who wants to borrow $400 or wants to borrow $100 for one year. And so this individual is scrutinized. Does he have an income? Does he have the wherewithal? Does he have the, uh, the, the, the numbers, the, the, the total debt service ratio that allows for this individual based on their income to be able to borrow the money? Do they have any collateral that they want to establish to so finally, once they've done all of their due diligence, 
they make a loan to that individual at 4%. So at the end of the year, that individual has paid $4 of interest. And of course, the bank shares it with the person who put up the $1. And I ask the majority of people when we're talking about the graph, what's the rate of return? And many of them say it's 3%. But the reality is, is that the rate of return in that example is 300%. And that's how we compound the growth of wealth because we don't understand exactly how the bank works. And each dollar in and each dollar that gets lent out is there's a spread. And I only wanna stick with this one numerical example because otherwise we can get carried away. So if we sit and we take a look at this transaction, we will actually find that the bankers and the securities and the investment companies, they have this discussion about a thing called risk, which basically means you're gonna lose your money or potentially lose your money. And that becomes a fear-based system. We don't really need to fear capitalism if we understand it, but the cloud over the clarity, okay, needs to be removed. And hence, when we remove this cloud over the clarity of how the bank works in a very simple way, we can also add to the equation that in that example of 4% and 1%, the profit is 300%, but with fractional reserve banking, where we only need to keep 10% of every dollar on deposit in the financial institution, we've now increased that growth to the bank at 2,700%. And then if we take it one step further and keep lending that money out and out and out by retaining that 10% of every dollar and then 90 cents, then 81 cents, and on and on, down to the smallest components, we can see that there's 6,000% growth in that simple transaction to the financial institution. So no wonder, if you will, the businesses that are created in that fashion, why they keep their secrets close to their heart, because they really don't want to know how simple it is to negotiate and or to stop the existing system. So now we're going to talk about for a second about the context of, if you will, that risk, because risk is a very large part of the investing community, and so are the definitions with regards to that. Having said that, I'd like to continue to grow these definitions so people have a better understanding of what they're doing financially. And if I lend my money to the bank, I need to know that I'm going to be paid interest income. And here in Canada, we have to pay tax on that interest income that we receive. So the government is sharing, okay, in the profitability through their power of taxation. However, it's the taxation through the public, not through the owners of the bank. So let's talk about the profit that the bankers made. So at the end of the day, the bankers, let's just say for argument's sake, again, we can go into all sorts of various aspects of this, but for simplicity's sake, let's understand that that bank made that $3 and the investor or the saver made $1. Well, that $3 is a profit from their transactions, from their, from their work. And hence, that profit actually uh, is called a dividend. And in Canada, we can earn $60,000 of dividend income, assuming there's no other income. I'm strictly making the comparison of how the bankers share their profits in a tax-free fashion. And therefore, 
the bankers don't pay, if you will, their fair share of, t- of taxes the same as the fair share that the individual who deposited the money had to pay at his tax rate. In this example, again, 50%. So if that's not financial literacy in the context of understanding what the bank does with your money, let me put it to you this way. If everybody became financially literate, nobody would put their money on deposit at the bank. They would all want to own shares of the bank and share in the bank profits. But if there's no profit because there's no money on deposit, how do we make a profit from the dividends of the profitability of the financial institution? So once we start to recognize that, all of a sudden, we can start to focus and recognize that risk. In most cases, the conversation is actually about loss. And loss and risk are extremely opposite ends of the field because if I lose my money, that means quite probably that I bought something for $10 and I sold it for five. But if the truth were known that whatever I bought at $10 was still a quality item, but for whatever reason has dropped significantly in the market, and let's say it drops to $5, most people are scrambling to sell that at $5 to lose the $5 difference. And yet the majority of people start to recognize, or a lot of people are recognizing the simple fact that if that business or the value of that essence of something that they bought at $10 and nothing's changed and it drops down $5, that means we should be buying twice as much. So when we truly start to understand the system and how the system works, then we can become financially empowered. The problem is that it probably won't work for the purveyors of this system called capitalism. So they're protecting the goose that laid the golden egg, except for one thing, more people are starting to know about the golden egg and the goose. And it's time to fess up. Yeah, it's time I, to people. I think that loops back to your really, um, wh- where I started, which is really asking questions and constantly questioning the authority. Um, and as you say, more and more people are waking up and, um, you know, as you say, it's chapter four in your book, The Lie, and you, you really elegantly uh, explaining that to people, that this is the lie. You know, most people bank their money in the, in the delusion that their money is either safe or there's no other way to capitalise on their money. Um, but the real people capitalising on the money are the bankers, uh, not the people who, you know, invested that money often through uh, hard work in the first place. So it really is about questioning that whole system um, that has been monopolized um, by very the very few, the elite, you know, it's an elite agenda. So let's move on to your solution, which is time, which is the alternative to capitalism. So can you tell um, our listeners and viewers more about that? Thank you. I'd absolutely love to. Um, One of the things that people have is a reluctance to accept change. And sometimes that change is the most needed and it's simple. It's not difficult. And in fact, if we take a look around us, and, and if you will, just entertain me for a quick second, look around you and everything that you see in your home or where you're watching this, this podcast from, Everything was once nothing more than a thought. 
And we've talked to many people in the world with regards to transformation and motivation. And yet we've heard so many times people say that thoughts become things. And when we start to truly understand that everything around you was originally a thought that became a thing, the simple reality is, is that we can create anything that we want to create. And if we want to create a system that operates with absolutely full transparency, we are at the liberty to be able to do that. So let's talk a bit about the non-transparent financial transactions, because when I started writing this book, it was based on an article on October the 18th, 2020, that caught uh, uh, Mercosi, or Sarkozy and Merkel walking at a G20 meeting in 2008, and they both came to the conclusion, the agreement that the financial system was broken and they needed something new to replace it. And yet, since 2008, nothing's been done other than the continuation of printing of money, the creation of inflation, and, and if you will, the illusion okay, of having all this money and we still really can't buy anything with it. And it's, it's rather sad when we look at our society that way. Um, however, um, one of the things that, if you will, it popped into my mind when I was waiting and seeking for the solution was time. And I recognized after I started doing a tremendous amount of research on time, that time is absolutely 100%. It's, it, you, you, you can't corrupt time. It's, it can't be bastardized. It can't be manipulated because time is in, in the world. And I've studied a lot of aspects of time, and I don't want to spend too much time on that. But the simple reality is this is that we have 13 months in a year based on a lunar cycle of 13 moons. The 13-month, 28-day calendar was a calendar that was used that, and, and in fact, it's still in some cases being used. And the usage of that 13-month calendar creates a more harmonious flow based on the fact that certain days align with certain days. Yes, there could be a perception of initially missed birthdays or other things. If you're born on the 30th and we only have a 28-day calendar, I'm sorry, you don't exist. But in reality, it would take one generation to eliminate that and get back into a more timely system. So once we actually start to truly to recognize and start to apply time, we can take a look at it in this conversation as, for example, my time is not worth any more than your time, nor is your time worth any more than mine. And when we have that in the construct of time, we have something called transparency, which we don't have in the financial system. Again, Sarkozy and Merkel in that article from um, 2008, they clearly state, okay, that they don't really know what to do based on the system crumbling all around them because the solutions that they've had do not continue, they just don't work. And now again, after COVID, um, which is where we ended up finishing the book because I started in 2008 and wrote it um, sporadically, life takes you know, precedent and you work, you have your family and sometimes the book doesn't come in the waves of thoughts and things that we would like. But subsequently when COVID came, it was time to reestablish that interest that I had in providing that solution. And we started to really research the concepts of time. So time cannot be, if you will, 
let, let's just call it, let's, it, it remains trustworthy because we can actually understand time in the way that I described it earlier. Uh, we can have 12 months, we can have 13 months, but we can't worry about the fact that the sun rises and goes to, falls out uh, or sunsets and, and it's continuous on a regular day-to-day -day basis. So time is transparent. Transparency creates trust. When we know what's not being covered up, then we can act with trust. That trust creates equality because now we know that after, uh, after the system is implemented, we know that people can trust each other and that creates the equality so that yes, we're gonna actually do what we say that we're gonna do with regards to our industries, our education system, and all of these other ideas. So now we've got equality that's in the equation and equality when people feel that they're equal with one another, which is technically our right by constitution and by, by religious books that were created equal. And subsequently at the end of the day, if we put all of these different things together, we can now create a real true democracy, not based on the kind that you can buy. We're gonna be talking about a democracy that's based on time everyone's time is equal, everybody works X number of hours per day. And the beauty of that, okay, is very simple that the companies that are working to create a profit, okay, will not have to make so many fridges, stoves, cars, because it's not about how many you have in inventory, it's about how well you build them. And then we get into another discussion that from the perspective of time, when we have something called planned obsolescence, we lose our pride in the things that we're manufacturing and building, but we keep our employees there for 40 hours a week or more. Why not cut the work week in half, produce less cars because there's no need for the profit, and subsequently we can actually become, again, more eco-friendly. Everybody today is talking about climate change. I think climate change is a fantastic idea in the context of, yes, we've got to figure out ways to reestablish some of the considerations that are going on in the world. Well, that's extremely expensive. Everybody's talking about the billions of dollars that we need to go out with and start talking about how are we going to create solutions to climate? Well, imagine if there was no money in the system that would restrict us from doing anything that we wanted to do. No money still builds things. It still grows fruit. It still allows us to interact. And in fact, become more inclusive with each other and communities can be made smaller. You don't have to be huge cities of people where all sorts of things have to be trucked in. Look at what they're doing to us from the perspective of, us, of, of the distribution system that's going on, right? There's all sorts of challenges. And at the end of the day, the sad part is the raw reflective about money. And in fact, there's organizations who are doing their best that within the next decade, they establish or they're trying to establish the fact that we will not own anything and we will like it and we will not have any money. Money will become a completely digital transaction. And if for whatever reason you speak out of line, they'll cut your card off so you can't get bank, you can't get healthcare, you can't get groceries. And these are the types of implementations that people want to put in to continue to put their thumbs on us and keep us thinking that success is something that you buy that's material, when we all know deep inside our own hearts that success is an internal process. I'm not here to, you know, 
really tear apart capitalism. It's not my intent, but it's my intent to create a discussion that starts to talk about if it can't fix it, it's time to change it. And if we haven't discussed how to change it, maybe this book and my work is the initial stages of starting to change something. And the only way that we can really look at initiating that change is by looking back at history and seeing the changes that have been made. I mean, look at the last 25 and 30 years. Uh, when I graduated high school, we didn't have computers. They, they, they weren't popular. They weren't on everybody's desk. And today we have computers that are the size of your cell phone and can are more powerful than the computer that we had back in the 1980s. So we are progressing beautifully with technology, except for the problems in the sense of costs. So hence, I believe that time equity, as further to be discussed as how it actually is implemented, um, I'm creating a panel to now discuss with economists, PhDs, MBAs in business, and people who are visionary, and talk about how can we actually put this concept? What are all the questions about how time equity would work? How do we solve all the problems with regards to people who view themselves, and rightly so, that they spent more time and, and money in education to become perhaps a surgeon, when at the same time, the guy who cleans the floor is probably one of the most, let's say, not well compensated individuals when you compare them to the surgeon, but both are needed to, to comply and to complete sat satisfactory surgery. I mean, you can't have a surgical theater that's filthy. And if anything that, that our current uh, COVID crisis is teaching us is that we need to up our game in the things that we call not important, such as cleaning, because these viruses, they need to be dealt with and they're growing stronger and they're coming back. So we need to be able to bring people into the world that can deal with those. So where, where and at what level do those levels of, of who's better than who, where do they start? I think one when of the things that comes across clearly from you, Richard, is that your incredible passion to resolve and find solutions to human problems. Um, and uh, maybe it's the, the, the old mechanic in you in terms of being able to put things to, you know, deassemble things and put things together, but understanding that the basis of all life is energy. Because um, you say thoughts become things. And once you understand that the basis of all life is energy and that we are manifest beings and we can co-create a different reality. Um, one of the things that you're talking about is an incor incorruptible um, system. Um, so time being incorruptible and also because it's incorruptible and it's based on equity, time equity, it also is totally inclusive. Um, so, you know, the emphasis is not how to keep people out or make things or people obsolete, but it's how to keep it a, a virtuous loop all the time based on humanity's total um, buy-in, transparency and inclusion. And that and that's certainly new thinking and um certainly one of the things that that i'm i'm big on in, in free thinkers hub is is introducing these ideas and giving the space in the hub for these ideas to be talked about because it's very very needed as you say the old system is pretty broke 
So it needs people to come together in new ways to co-create what a sustainable, fair, uh, peaceful system can be. Uh, so I know that we, you know, I mean, I do heavily recommend that people um, buy your book to be able to understand more about time, um, you know, and how time works, because you really go into a lot of detail about um, time and how it's been manipulated through religious and political structures through millennia. And that is in itself really insightful. But I just want to move on here to um, you, you, you cite a number of agreements uh, within the time equity system. And um, you've, the sixth agreement is about peace. So how much is your desire for peace born out of your family's struggles during the Second World War and being refugees? Um, thank you so much for asking about that, Amina. Um, my mom is 88 years of age, <clears throat> and I'm blessed that she still has um, many of her memories intact and talks about the experiences of a six-year-old little girl who was forcefully removed from her home in Poland and was put on a train with her mother, um, not knowing where the other siblings and the other family members were. And they were put on a train that went through Siberia. Uh, the experiences that she had in, in Russia, um, where after the Russians um, pulled out all of the onions and potatoes out of a field, whatever was left over was for uh, the prisoners of war. And it was so difficult for them to uh, find enough potatoes and onions uh, to be able to sustain themselves. And subsequently, they ended up going to Tehran and they ended up going to Africa, where they spent um, not, not only the war years, but for almost five years after the war ended, before that they were liberated, that they could choose to go to a different country. And when they chose to come to Canada, they chose because of the reputation of Canada. They chose about the reputation of Canadians and what Canadians stand for and their rights. <clears throat> and they decided that that would be the best place, the most peaceful place to create a home and a new environment for themselves and for the family that they were going to have. And, and that determination in coming to a new country with fantastic ideas about how to be able to, um, if you will, get back on the, the, the track of life that was taken away from them. And the opportunities to really sit back were, were unlimited at the time because we create, again, we create our own reality. So many people today are concerned about jobs and work and, and, and uh, artificial intelligence. And yes, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna be implemented whether we like it or not. But all sorts of other jobs will actually be opened up because if, as an example, the capitalist's worst nightmare and the time equity system become the hub, okay? And all of the industries that need attention. So we need energy, we need environmental, we need education, we need healthcare, um, we need um, different energy solutions. And we need all of these solutions yesterday because what we're doing to our world is absolutely disgusting. And we might not even have a world 
here in the next 50 or 100 years if we continue to do what it is that we're doing. So this is a, a wake-up call, not, not just me. This is a wake-up call. Amina, um, thank you so much for putting the Free Thinkers Hub together because we need to be able to share information and to share honest and diligent information that's been well-researched in the sense of we have alternative strategies but the restrictions through ownership and protectionism are ridiculous. There's, there's no way to get into uh, competing or providing competitive prices and services, especially on a mass scale, when we're talking about energy and other things uh, of that nature in healthcare. But yet at the same time, we all know that there's a problem. And all we're trying to do is to put our minds and our hearts together and turn around and say, these are the problems, this is how they can be addressed and have one central idea that allows for those to be observed, to be monitored and subsequently to be treated so that every person is treated fairly with regards to the amount of um, time they spend at work, as well as the amount of time that they have to be able to recreate and to do other things in, in, in our world. And I'm sorry if I digressed, a, a little no, bit. I think uh, the, the whole of your your thinking and your model and approach is really holistic. So I, I don't experience a digression. I, I experience you bringing in lots of different strands to you know build you know build uh, the vision of this because it is very visionary. And uh, to, certainly towards the end of your book, I mean, certainly the listeners have had a, an experience of you being able to talk about some of the technical details of, of how the banking system works. And you certainly have this ability, as I started the interview, to go from the very uh, technical um, and deconstructive kind of way of looking at things to actually painting a, an amazing macro vision. Um, and in your macro vision, you talk about, you know, how we're moving more towards super consciousness, intuition, telepathy and the like. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the future world, along with some of the new technologies that are there. Um, I, I would argue that we already have a lot of those technologies, but they've just been suppressed and hidden. Um, and, um, you know, yes, we need to create a, a whole load of new stuff to address some of the, um, the, the global problems. Um, however, it's about, as you say, taking back the power to the people for the people to decide, and uh, and I think we're in unity on on this approach. So um, I don't think there is any digression in how you're um, you're talking. Uh, I mean, our conversation because there's so much to unpack in terms of your thinking and um, you know time equity. But a final question I, I um, want to ask you, and you ask it of the readers in your book. You say. What are you willing to sacrifice to move towards where you really want to be? So how did you or would you answer that for yourself, Richard? Um, thank you, Amina. And th this is one of those questions that, that came up um, through the writing of the book, because um, one of the things that I truly believe is that our maker and and whomever that might be for you and even if that's you centralized around yourself you don't believe in god or or anything of that particular nature um 
but the simplicity of actually deciding and, and coming to the conclusion of recognizing what is the gift that you were given at birth. And there are so many, if you will, people who are very clear on the answer to that question. Well, as an example, I want to be a writer or I want to be a poet or I want to be a musician or I want to be a bridge builder or I want to build uh, high performance cars or I want to do something in the context of the, the, the billions of different things that we can do. And yet the majority of us, we work to sustain ourselves. We work to have a place to live. We work to have a place to get something to eat. And the majority of us are very confused from the perspective of what is universal basic income and how does that work in the context of finding out who you are and then go to the thing that they absolutely love to do, perhaps play music or something else that they can't or they think they can't do on a regular basis. Well, this last year has been amazing for me, and I really hope that it's been amazing for other people because the challenges that we get tossed, those are the things that change us. Those are the things that create a larger vision. My book is all about just expanding on the vision, planting the seed, if you will, of change, because I want to see people live the life that we're truly here to live. It's, it's sad at one level when you think that when you graduate from school at, let's say, 25 years of age, you work for 40 years, you're now 65 years of age, and if you're lucky by global standards, uh, most people live until on an average combined age of about 73 or 74 years of age. So you, you've worked for 40 years in order to buy yourself, let's say, 10 years or 15 years of recreational time. And by the time we get there, in most cases, many are too tired, okay, to be able to truly enjoy and to picture themselves outside of the conventional once you've become retired scenario. There's a statistic in Canada I read many years ago that pointed specifically to individuals that had a business card with a, with a particular title, vice president or something. And it, they, they watched people when they retired at 65. And because these people did not have another way to identify themselves, they ended up passing away 46 months after their retirement. I, I, I don't think that our maker's intent, okay, was for that to happen. And yes, I would love to certainly something yeah. came in to manipulate that that very natural law of how people live and I, I think you do describe that throughout your book um I, I you know I, I really love the fact that you uh, you know answered that question in terms of really encouraging people to dig deep and find out what their unique you know gift is and I think if this time um, I mean, energetically, I believe this is absolutely the time now to do that. Like no other time in history have we got this fantastic opportunity. So as you say, think, co-create positively, you know, let's move away from the limitations of what we can't do to the possibilities of what we can do. And this is the time to do that. Um, you also talk about the greatest give you gift you can give someone is your time because in giving your time you're given a portion of your life that you will never get back and I want to thank you Richard for your time in this interview um, I found it incredibly insightful 
Um, it, you know, you've offered a new way of being, um, I'm sure, to many listeners because it, it's taken, you know, um, an economic system and it's it's humanizing it 100 percent with a pure intent. Um, and if I could sum up what you're about, it would be in that phrase that I've just said. So I, I would, you know, really want to say thank you, Richard, for your time today and giving this interview. And, and likewise, Amina, um, I want to say thank you very much for your generous gift of time, as well as for inviting me to be uh, a guest on your podcast. And I would absolutely love to be called back at some future point absolutely. in time and, and see how things are manifesting towards perhaps a different vision of our of a new reality for all of us. I mean, and, one of the things is really about the solution focused part of, you know, so I'm sharing information on Free Thinkers Hub that is currently censored, but it is moving much towards how we all get together and start to co-create solutions. And I can see definitely um, that, you know, the opportunity for you to do that with some of um, the audience and the, the community that is building. And thank you so much for stating that, because one of the things that I would love to do for your audience, if they would be so inclined or if they're curious, please go to my website, richardmkernicki.com, and please go to the author page, and please request a, a complimentary digital copy of my book. If you think you'd like to know more, um, I would love to get the word out. It's important to get the word out. And if you'd like a copy of the book, please, again, one more time, um, it's Richard M. Karanicki, just like the spelling at the bottom. And please don't hesitate. And, and I want to thank Amina for the opportunity to be able to offer uh, this to all of the viewers that are out there. And, and I sincerely hope that at some point in time, some of you reach out and, and uh, talk with me or message me or connect with me in social media. It'd be great. Absolutely, Richie, because I think there's so much, uh, of, you're opening up so much of a dialogue with the world here to think about doing things differently. And there's a lot of people with, with very specific gifts where everyone has their own gifts that can come and share in that. So once again, thank you. Um, for, for being here to talk with us today. And I want to say thank you to all the listeners and viewers who have tuned in. Um, I'll be posting this podcast on, on Freethinkers Hub, www.freethinkershub.com. And I know that Richard will be posting it across his sites as well. So once again, thank you for tuning in and listening and look forward to catching up with you again. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Free Thinkers Hub, connecting you with people in other fields or walks of life who can expand our world and sense of possibility. Our mission is clear, a censorship-free social media platform that's a hub of truth where people can learn and share and to create a place of hope and empowerment. Free Thinkers Hub, where you are empowered, not overpowered.